Hello, everybody. Welcome again to the Doomer Optimism podcast. Uh, today, we have Tornado Nate. Uh, and you are kind of a tornado, at least on Twitter. Um, you're kind of, you're all over the place. You're weaving in and out of conversations. Um, and I have to say, uh, I really like your style, man. Uh, it's a good, it's a good vibe. Uh, I, I think that uh, you're really constructive in online discussions. Um, I think you have a lot of really interesting things to say. And I really enjoy your presence um, in kind of DO Twitter. So welcome. Now you're now now you're yeah, thanks. on the podcast as a as a single guest. You've been on a couple panels. <laughs> now you're a single guest. Um, rising. Well, nice. It's, it's it's great to be here. You know, it's it was totally uh, um, surprising to me. You know, because I I got on. Well, I had this Twitter account from like 2012. You know, I got on it just to mess around with it, and then I never used it. Um, and I wasn't really very interested in it. Um, was wasting my life using Facebook. <laughs> and then like nine months ago or so, I started playing with it more. And I intended to, because I was, you know, um, I do some other things uh, around psychedelics. Um, I do uh, a podcast, um, Altered States of Context on Psychedelics, which is more focused on the clinical side of it. Yeah. Um, I kind of occasionally write a newsletter as well um, about that same topic. And so I was, you know, more there to engage with that. And then I just started, I don't remember who exactly, but I think I, you know, ended up in, in the orbit, you know, following you and following Ashley and kind of getting hooked into DO. And I was like, well, this is just awesome. <laughs> and so I just kind of totally did a complete um, unexpected turn into that because it's way, way more fun. And, and I think that was what, um, you know, in my online interactions, it's like, well, I want it to be fun. And often we'll, we'll get into it later, but often the psychedelic conversation online is not very fun, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the doomer optimist, it's always, it's always a good time. And I try to keep it that way. And if it's not fun, I'm like, mm, I gotta get out of here. It needs to be fun. If it's online, like there, there's no point in, yeah. I think it maybe a couple times where I found myself getting like really frustrated, but overall keep it fun. Yeah. One thing I've noticed is you're really good at like, there's some particularly cantankerous people online i'm not going to name names um but um you know that, that that'll get really mad at you and just kind of go after you um and you seem to be able to kind of joke and poke and and kind of you know mix it up with with people that you don't really agree with who you know other people might be actually even afraid to even mix it up with them uh because of the blowback and you seem to just handle it with with grace like like you seem to get away with it and i think it's I think it's because your good intentions, like like it's your sincerity is, is coming through. And so I think that um, it diffuses uh, what would be kind of like, you know, these explosive arguments. Well, I hope so. You know, that's, I mean, I've done my time as a, you know, a keyboard warrior um, and trying to prove a point and shit like this. And I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I think that's part of what goes, you know, that part of what drives that is that, I, you know, I don't care. It's, it's cool. It's Twitter, you know, disagree. Like it doesn't affect me if you disagree, you know, it doesn't like, yeah. I don't need to prove anything to anybody on Twitter. <laughs> right. And so it's just really like, you got to keep, mm -hmm. you know, I, I really got to keep my ego out of it because 
who cares? There's nothing to prove. Yeah. Um, somebody, you know, you, we disagree at the beginning of the conversation. We could disagree at the end. Um, it can either be informative because I've had some of those conversations that really like helped me because I do want to understand. I mean, that's the other part that really drives me is, yeah. uh, and I think that, you know, I'm curious about people. My job as a psychotherapist, I want to, and I'm not sitting there trying to analyze. I think it's the stereotype is analyze and figure out. I just want to understand like people are fascinating. Um, And I want to understand how people's lives are and how they see the world. And hopefully that can understand or uh, inform, I should say how I see the world. Um, Yeah. Well, I think that's the other thing about these, these um, interactions and, and, and kind of the, 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 what I had is, uh, I don't want to say a revelation, but not at all revelation, but definitely a change of heart, like in the last year, which is really just like, this ain't working. And I'm willing to entertain any ideas at this point, you know, like the way I was looking at the world and the way, like, I just, I don't care. I'm, I'm, I'm open, you know, I'm open to be convinced of stuff. Um, I have strong feelings and strong opinions, um, I care about things a lot, um, yeah. but I'm, I'm, I'm willing to be wrong. You use the term strong values, but I, ideologies loosely held. That's the ideal. Are, are I think that's the ideal. Are our values and ideolo- ideologies, how separable are they? Like how much, uh, you know? I believe that they are almost completely separable. Um, I, I think they're almost completely uh, but do the like, values like have to be so vague, like the golden rule or, you know, just like these very vague that everybody can kind of apply their own interpretation to and agree with, right? Um, or like, like what kind of values are we talking about here? Like how, how specific values? Like, like, for example, I know that you got into the abortion debate with, with folks and, you know, that's a pretty clear line right it's either it's it's a battle between you know um bodily autonomy and the belief that life begins at conception right and there's there's really it's it's hard to find middle ground and, and and values you can say oh that's just ideology but is it it's it's also i mean it is values it's it's you know are you are you prioritizing you know when you believe human life starts or are you prioritizing bodily autonomy right uh, it's, yeah there are values conflicts. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, there are values conflicts. Um, but I'll um, say that I think that, you know, value essentially is like, this is what I love. This is what I love. You know, that, that's, in, you know, in a, in a nutshell. Um, what I love, what I would defend you know, what I really care about. And that's sort of pre-ideology, in my view. It's pre-ideology. It's not something that you're constructing. Now, you might verbally construct it if you're trying to describe it to somebody, but the the value is almost pre-verbal. It's down there deep. It's not, once it becomes verbalized, and I think, you know, then it, then it does have the edge of ideology, because to me, that's what ideology is. It's, it's, it's when you verbally conceptualize a system of thought yeah. of any sort. Mm-hmm. And I don't, and I, and I often come across as anti-ideology and well, I mean, I guess I come across that way because I more or less completely am, but mm-hmm. um, it's not useless. And we have to use, I mean, we have to use words. We have to describe things. We have to dis- uh, construct systems. Um, 
but that that phrase holding it loosely i think is what's for me important right. um and then there are going to be at times irreconcilable values conflicts right and i think abortion is one of those where it's a i mean i do kind of think it's irreconcilable um it's one of those really hard painful things to talk about right like it I mean, it's it's unpleasant um because you know you're dealing with people like very strong feelings and very strong judgments in either direction and it it becomes so incredibly divisive um so it's, it's a very painful thing to talk about but um yeah I, I don't know what else to say about that one yeah let's back up <laughs> i don't know we're gonna solve the abortion debate here <laughs> no, no 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 that's not my intention at all um so let's back out um let's give a if you can give a a quick recap, you know, narr- narrativize your life a little bit, um, you know, and, and we all know that when, when we do that, it comes out different each time and we emphasize different things each time. That's fine. So narrativize your life a little bit. You know, you're, you're, you're a psychotherapist, you're um, really interested in the transformative power of psychedelic, psychedelics. Uh, you do regenerative ranching with, with cows. Um, you're a grateful deadhead. Uh, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's string some of these together a little bit. I did say that was my only ideological commitment is right. primacy of, of, of the dead. Um, I'll stand by that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I will die on that hill, but so yeah, I'll just, but that's, uh, yeah. How you construct that is an interesting thing. So, um, I'll, I'll weave in the, the, the psychedelic part right from the start um and we'll go back to um you know my experience in undergrad which was uncomfortably long ago at this point 25 years ago and um you know i was as you might um gather i guess you know describing the tornado um i was pretty wild for a while there um you know, went to college, was kind of um, carried away. I had, you know, in high school, I had, I'd had a DUI. I drank way too much. Like I was a partier and I was pretty uh, intensely, um, you know, borderline out of control. Um, But, you know, I was like this privileged college kid. So I was just there having a good time and whatnot, but really, you know, not, it was starting to, it was clearly having a negative effect on my life um, and looked to be having a much more negative effect on my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what I was doing. You know, I was in college and I was partying and I don't want to say, you know, and I don't want to trivialize like a lot of struggles that people have with substance abuse. Um, uh, but I did for a while use that word alcoholic for, for myself. I don't know if I use that word to describe myself anymore, but I did at, for a time. Mm-hmm. Um but around late my, uh, you know, around the middle of college at some point, I, because I was just kind of doing whatever, right? And so somebody had some mushrooms and I was like, sure, let's do those. And I took these mushrooms and it was like, whoa, that was different. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was really different. That's not like getting fucked up. That's not what I thought they would be. Like, it was super interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, it was this super interesting experience. And I wanted to do it again because I'm like, that was fascinating. And so over about the next 18 months, I did that more and I drank less um, to the point in which I completely stopped drinking. Um, 
through a few experiences I'd had, I kind of had these real clear experiences. Um, and I'd switched during that time uh, from doing mushrooms to mostly doing, you know, LSD, um, uh, basically the janitor at the place I lived was like, well, Hey, if you like those mushrooms, you're going to really love this stuff. And I was like, okay. Um, and he was right. I did. <laughs> and, you know, I had some experiences that just really kind of like, in my mind, I was like, well, I could see very clearly, like, this is what I care about. This is where my life is going. If I keep, you know, on the path I'm on. So I need to get off that path. And, and, you know, just like that, this thing that I had been struggling with, cause I was struggling with it. I was like, really like, I need to stop, but I can't stop like this whole thing. I just stopped drinking completely. I was like, this is really not who I want to be. Like it was just so, so clear and so easy. Yeah. I don't want to be this person. I don't want to be this guy. This is, this is not a way to live. Um, but I did keep using the psychedelics for, um, you know, um, you know, for a while, I remember my junior year in particular, I had stopped drinking at this point. And I was just, and, and, and I also completely buckled down on school and became like a real, you know, like a good student. I mean, I've always been a pretty good student, but I really was focused on, on that. Um, and then every weekend I had a few friends and this sort of developed spontaneously, this ritualistic use developed spontaneously. And every weekend, you know, Saturday morning, you'd get up, we'd get up, we'd go work out, um, do some homework. And then towards the evening, you know, we'd, we'd drop acid and do our thing. And um, progressively over the course of about two or three months, we did it every single weekend like this. And it kind of culminated in this experience that is described as, um, you know, in, in, in the research literature is like these mystical experiences in the religious literature. It's, it's, it's this experience of unity or oneness. I remember clearly we were camping down in um, uh, Southern Missouri. It was um, um, Johnson shut-in state park. And um I remember walking into a clearing because I was just kind of wandering around, walking and looked up at the sky. And it was one of those perfect nights, you know, where, where there's not a cloud in the sky and the stars just seem like they're dropping out of the sky on you. And I looked up and I immediately fell on my knees, like, and started weeping, you know, and, and I didn't exactly have the words for it. Still don't. But I remember sort of saying afterwards, like, it's like I, I felt like I had the answer to every question that I'd ever ask, you know, all the things that had made me you know, just maddened and, and, and worried and, and consternated and uh, all of everything just made sense in that moment. Like was the answer existence, 42? everything made sense. Was the answer 42? Pardon? Was the answer 42? <laughs> the number, that number did not pop in, but. <laughs> Wrong answer. But that was, it was a, it was remarkable, right? It was just a remarkable experience. And after that, it really kind of loosened up. Like I, we didn't, I, I didn't use as much anymore, kind of progressively less um, tapering off to, um, to, to very occasional because it really felt like it was building to that. And it, and then once that happened, it was like, ah, there's not much more. I mean, not that I don't think there's much more to learn because I'm not one of those. Oh, when uh, Alan Watts said, you know, when you get the message, hang up the phone, like, well, that's done. I never, I've never felt that way about it, even though I think I did go about 10 years once without using it. Um, 
but to me, I want that line. That line is always open in my mind if I ever need to pick it up. Um, I, I always think that there's more to learn. Just there's not an urgency or, you know, there's not. It really felt like an experience that was building towards something. Um, and so, you know, that happened. And then, of course, I my life was in a completely different trajectory by the time this was all done. I was doing better in school and I was really motivated. Um, I ended up meeting meeting my wife who the um she worked in uh the dean's office and the dean of students had actively warned her against me um but, but she was like yeah i don't you know you understand he's changed he's different now um and i had um and so we got together and um decided to move out to colorado and that was sort of the next the next thing we did nice how long ago was that we moved to Colorado in um, the, the, it was after she graduated because I hung around for another year. I graduated in 2000 and had planned to move to Colorado, but then I was really into this girl. Um, and so I decided to hang around and, and she graduated a year later. And after she graduated, so like June, I think of 2001, we moved because it was right before, right before 9-11. Um, and then we got married the following year. Um, and then we were in Colorado. I did some wilderness therapy stuff out there because I was really, you know, I wanted to then, um, you know, I was really interested in the trans transformative effect of psychedelics, but transformation generally. And I've always been an outdoors person. I grew up in the country in Southern Illinois, um, in the woods and love the outdoors. I grew up camping and, and doing all that. And so, you know, connecting people with nature was like, for me, like that, that, that's Nate, you get out in nature. That's, that's a great way to kind of make that sort of direct connection with the world. Um, which I guess you could really, I think that's a, um, a theme or a summary element for sure is like a direct connection to the world. Um, and be that through connection with uh, a place connection, you know, with land connection, um, with each other, you know, just like these direct connective experiences. And so I did some, some wilderness therapy stuff out there and got really into fly fishing and did, did the Colorado mountain thing a lot. Um, Emily went to graduate school at Naropa and then I went to graduate school to become a psychotherapist at Naropa as well. And um, studied transpersonal counseling psychology, which is like counseling psychology that has a, uh, transpersonal specifically works in the transpersonal element, which is the sort of the, it's a word essentially meaning is the spiritual part of, of being a person, you know, not just the material aspect of, 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 um, you know, psychology, but also a spiritual aspect as well. Were you um, into integral? I know integral was big. Uh, it was, you know, I Ken Wilbur's from Boulder and it was very big and it never really did it for me. It was just a little, I, I, I don't mean to disparage it, but it always felt to me a little too egg headish. It's the, I mean, maybe I just, all of these kind of looks like an egg. So like, that's, that's like was it, was it that they were just kind of too abstract and kind of, kind of, uh, uh, schematic rather than the actual process of, you know, I think that's exactly, yeah, I think exactly. So it felt just a little too tedious. But that's not the experiential side. Was it the map? It's not the territory thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
yeah very very much so it just felt it felt too abstract too yeah yeah tedious to for i i just i didn't connect with it mm. um you know and then got a job and um you know kind of earned earned my license and things like that and that's about the time we decided to have kids um also weaving into this is then um in in 2009 um well backing up a little bit further you know my parents were kind of like pseudo hippies you know like i online i talk about hippies a lot they're like pseudo like they, they you know they both grew up in that time and um were very influenced by hippie values but they you know had jobs and didn't drop out and do all that so they weren't i mean they that would never say they were like all the way hippies but they you know i grew up with you know organic food bulk food bought from a co-op giant things of peanut butter whole wheat bread um oh so I'm trying were, to think of the name of the guys were trad then that's what that isn't that what the trads do i've heard about that i thought that yeah. was a right wing thing now, no it was at the time that was it's confusing because it has completely completely it's disorienting really because at the time that was just hippies it was just hippies yeah. you know it was, it was um you know no you know, hairy armpits and the whole thing. Like it was just hippies. Um, and, um, so I like the, the food thing was, you know, like, I, and you know, when we moved to Colorado, they had this Fort Collins had this amazing food co-op that I loved. And so I was really into this food thing. And then in 2009, Michael Pollan wrote the omnivores dilemma. And I read that book and it like blind, like it was just like really hit me hard. Like I was like this book, like it was, it grabbed me. And it was all because it was like a, it wasn't a lot of things that were brand new. It was just brought in so much of, because I'd already read, um, you know, The Botany of Desire. I was a fan of his before. And, and now he's I reading a psychedelic book. This this guy must be your favorite author. Well, Wendell Berry is my favorite author, but Michael Pollan's probably probably number two. Like I really have but been Wendell a fan Berry of his hasn't for a long time. Psychedelics, man. You, you, you can't. He hasn't written about him. You can't just fall like that. He hasn't written about him, but he's four areas. <laughs> but side note, Wendell Berry is extremely close, was extremely close lifelong friends with Ken Kesey, wow. who was the original Mary Prankster, the yeah. originator of the acid tests, mm -hmm. you know, which was ground zero for the Grateful Dead, ground zero for the flower children, the height Ashbury scene, the whole thing. Right. Okay. Um, okay. And they were cohorts. Wendell and Ken were cohorts right. in a program at Stanford and had remained lifelong friends. So okay. that piece of information, I, I find. I accept that explanation. Go Proceed. Go ahead. You know, Wendell's never acknowledged anything publicly, of course. And like, that's, that's a, the, I, I, the, I think there's maybe a wink there somewhere, but um, to me, I'm like, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um. Okay. But anyway, I read. Hey, you. Sorry to get you off track. Go ahead. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Um, Pollen's book was about food, right? It was about food and our food systems, and that's when I think the decision started to be made. It took a long time. It was very hard because we loved Colorado. I still love Colorado. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful place to live. Um, I love trout. I love to catch trout. Um, it's just a wonderful place. Um, but we have family here in Illinois and we have, um, Emily's, um, grandmother has the farm that we're now on. Um, and it was deserted 
and you know it's you know being cashed you know rented to a tenant and you know pretty degraded pretty run down no one lived here and it was just sitting here and so reading that book um thinking about the possibilities of what that could be you know thinking about being closer to our family we were blessed in that you know both emily and i have wonderful relationships with our family we didn't move a thousand miles away because we didn't get along with our family we just colorado seemed like a fun adventure but then we had kids and um it felt really bad to keep them that far away from their grandparents when they had these loving grandparents that wanted to be in their lives so we kind of made that when Quinn was born in 2008, this book in 2009 really hit me. And then the decision started to be, but it took a long time to transition. And in 2012, you know, we just kind of hit that point where it's like, we're either going to do this or not. We just need to go. Um, so we packed a U-Haul and just like came, we just came here. It was, it was 10 years ago, um, last week, two weeks ago. Wow. Okay. Okay. All right. So, so we're starting to get up to the present. Uh, anything else you want before uh, we dig into some things, anything else you want to get us caught up with in these last 10 years? Um, you know, that's the last 10 years have been, you can kind of see some of the things I share on Twitter. Um, there's been a lot of learning. <laughs> it's been pretty hard. You know, it's pretty hard to renovate a big old farm um, and help. And, and you, had a, you, had a, you had an awesome thread. I remember a long time ago. It was one of the first things I saw from you on the account of like homesteading mistakes. And I think that was like pretty viral thread. Um, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, I wanted to be transparent about that. Like, it's like, well, I mean, just, it's just honest, you know, it's like, everything you know you go on uh instagram and you you know and you see all the home and it's all this shiny happy stuff and it's like i love i love it i love my life here so i'm not saying that it isn't that but it isn't only that <laughs> it's a lot of difficulty and it's a lot of hard and it's a lot of failure and a lot of frustration and a lot of not enough time <laughs> and so there's all these um um you know all these difficulties um and yeah that that thread was just sort of like I just walked around and looked at, took pictures of, well, there was this thing I tried six years ago and that failed. And now here's the remnants of it. <laughs> here's another thing I tried and that didn't work. <laughs> and here's another thing. Um, Cause it was, um, there's a lot of those, you know, and some of them have worked and, and, and you know, and I think we're, we're, we're putting it together, but um, it's been a, Oh man, it's been a lot of learning over the last 10 years. And, you know, of course we're raising kids. Our kids are now 14 and 11 and, uh, as you know, that takes a lot. So there's just been, it's been a pretty intense decade since we moved back. I mean, pretty darn intense. I didn't have a job, you know, and so we, we homeschool. And so I moved back and immediately within three months, I needed to make a full-time income. Um, Cause we didn't have much of a cushion. That is what I meant. We just had to like do it. <laughs> you know, if we don't do it now, we're not going to do it. And so we just came and I, I opened up my counseling practice and, and got, full pretty quick and it worked. Um, and, um, so it's kind of a, yeah, just a whirlwind. Um, 
still is, you know, I'm now in the process of really, really wishing I could slow things down a bit. Um, and that's, that's sort of where I'm at right now in my life is trying to like, whoa, how do we slow some, th some things down, focus a little bit more. Um, cause it's been a lot of intensity for sure. Uh, when did you read your first Wendell Berry book? When I moved, um, when I moved here, um, I had exposure to him before because that was another seed. If you have seeds of like the move here was in, uh, I don't know, it was 2006 or something. I'm not, maybe, maybe before, maybe, but whatever. There was a sustainable living fair in Fort Collins, um, Colorado. And a speaker there was um, uh, Wes Jackson. And he talked about perennial agriculture. And that was, you know, that was a few years before the Michael Pollan book. But it was also like it was a, it was a seed that was really germinating there. I was like, wow, that's, you know, made it made complete sense. What he talked about made complete sense to me. And he's good friends with Wendell Berry and talked about Wendell Berry. And I was like, oh, OK, that's a guy I've got to read. But I didn't get around to it. Yeah. And when I moved back, um, that's when I dove in and I dove in head first. And I read, you know, some of his essays and stuff like that, but it's really his novels I like, connected with. Mm -hmm. Um, in this, and I read, read all of them. I read, I've read all the Port William novels and stories, you know, in this sort of, uh, um, hope attempt just to understand, apprehend, you know, what he's talking about when he talks about community, it's potent and powerful and, um, and foreign to me, like, in a way, like there's a memory somewhere back there. Yeah. Um, but it's not how I've lived. It's not how I've lived. You know, I remember, you know, the, the memories I have mostly are, I think about my grandparents, you know, and their, and their farm and going to visit them and being with them. And there's, to me, there's like that, the memory of them connects with what I, you know, what I read um, in, in, in these books about Port William and so there's like a thread there that I feel like I can apprehend from experience that's there. Um, but it gets so fleshed out in these, in, in the books that he writes. And he's such an incredibly lovely writer and his use of words is sublime. And he, he just creates an experience of understanding what community really means, not in, in, in a, in a much more depth, like in a depth that, it, it conveyed to me what that word means in a way that I didn't understand before reading his, his work at all. No, no idea. Yeah. Yeah. I'm reading, I'm reading the memory of, of, uh, of old Jack right now. And it's my, the first novel I read of his, and I, I agree with, um, with what you've said so far. I think he's a beautiful writer and oftentimes I have to dwell on a passage, uh, for a little while to make mm -hmm. sure that I grok it, you know, um, what he's getting at. Um, and then, I've, and, you know, the first book I've read of his was The Unsettling of America, which I think is how a lot of people get into it. But I want to connect this, and I, and I promise you we're going to get a psychedelic soon, but I want to connect this to your, how you approach psychotherapy, and but then kind of Wendell Berry's critique in The Unsettling of America of, you know, how much, you know, by by basically, you know, industrializing, specializing so much, um, you know, becoming uprooted from, from the land, disconnected from the land. Um, you know, he, he just, 
you know, he talks about he talks about how that affects our culture and that how that affects our psychology. Um, so how do you, I guess, how do you think about your practice? Like, you're not just dealing with the person, you're dealing with the person in their context and you're dealing with the person in a context of a culture that, you know, has, you know, become just really kind of, uh, I guess, ungrounded from, you know, the primary things, right? Uh, in, yes. in many ways. And, and so I'm wondering how, how do you think about, I guess, do you get what I'm asking? Like this connection between yeah, his critique yeah, of culture, uh, mm-hmm. modern culture and what it's doing to our psychology. And how do you, like, are, are those separate things that you kind of, you're in the office and you're just dealing with the person, like, or how do you, how do you think about it? No, they're not separate. Nothing separate. Um, it's a good question because it's, you know, I view myself as a contextualist. That's sort of how I think of myself, you know, professionally. And, you know, I practice, you know, contextual behavioral science is sort of the um, acceptance commitment therapy is the therapy I practice, which is a um, stems from contextual behavioral science. And, you know, so as the name implies, you know, everything is in context, you know, you, you, you can't just isolate um, and reduce a single, you know, aspect of a person's life. Um, without also considering, you know, the, the the full context, and that is the full context is that we are generally speaking um, a culture that's isolated from each other and isolated from our place. We're like these sort of like um, I don't want to disembodied is the word that comes to my mind, and I guess that's maybe not inaccurate. Yeah. Pardon? Uh, the, the word commodified came to my mind. We've all become commodified. Yeah, yeah, commodified, disembodied, like we're just separate. You know, there's this, this massive separateness. Um, and so that is the context, you know, in which I'm doing therapy with a lot of people. So it isn't just like, hey, you know, tell me. Oh, in another context, I guess it's important to note too, is then there's this view of what a mental illness is. Um, like it's this uh, um, brain chemistry bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> for, for lack of a better term. Um, that's a perfect term, actually. It's perfect. Um, because it is, it's, 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 it's just be like, we're, we're just, you know, our, our brains are a little out of whack. Um, and you know, meme online with the, the brain chemicals the, dialing. Have you seen, have you seen the meme online where there's like a forest that's been cut down and there's this little baby koala, like shivering on the tree stump and you have these like, yeah, these these therapists or doctors or whatever you, you know what i'm talking about yeah. i do i saw it just today i like today it came through i saw it and what i forget what, what yeah exactly what is said in the caption is something like you know this koala seems to have some kind of mental illness right but it's like oh yeah i mean yeah. you just cut down its forest and its habitat and everything that you know it, it, it ascribes meaning to exactly you know and so like you lose your your entire sort of ecological niche or you lose your um, you know, your, your, your family and, and, you know, it's, it's normal, um, completely normal to, you know, you go off to college, you move a hundred miles, you move all, you, you know, we're just all over the place. Um, because that's just the way it is. And that's just the way you do things, but we don't, we have, we have failed to, you know, stop and think about what that means, <laughs> You know what it means to not have roots. What it means to not have connection. Uh, for me, it was it and it was it has always been 
I've always been connected to where I've lived physically. I grew up, I, had, I was blessed to grow up in this place. My parents raised me in this place they built, um, carved out, you know, when I think when I was six, they carved a little clearing out of the woods and built their own house, you know, by hand. And um, we grew up in this place and it was it's beautiful. And over the course of the next, you know, 30 years, I uh, put in these beautiful gardens and built a pond. And it just made this beautiful little oasis in Southern Illinois. It's an absolutely jewel of a, of a place. And, you know, it's where we grew up and it's lovely. And, um, and so we were all, me and my siblings, you know, just really connected there, um, grounded there. Um, and it was always sort of a, um, yeah, it always felt like home. And then, you know, moved up here 10 years ago. And now what's happened is my sister, um, she ended up moving close to us. She lives um, over in the nearby town now. She moved, she, cause she was in Colorado as well. And, that, and she moved, she lives about 30 minutes. And then my parents actually sold that place and they moved up here. Um, and so we, my brother doesn't, but the rest of my family, we all live pretty close and are kind of putting roots down to this place. And, and for me, it's really central to obviously the farm I live on. Um, and um, being in a relationship with the place is really, really important. What's harder for me is being in a, a relationship with community. That's not, it really is a thing that is, um, it does not come natural to me. Um, yeah. 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 But I digressed, I think from the initial question, which was about practicing therapy, you know, and just the, the context of that, but it ties back in because I mean, I think we're all, everyone needs that. We need connection. We need connection to other people. We do need a connection to a place. We do need a connection to community. We can't just yank, you can't just yank a person out of everything they know and put, put them somewhere else and expect them to be fine. Um, these relationships, these networks, these ways of making meaning of the world around us are kind of fragile, actually. And when you, and, and I think it's, it's easy to not appreciate how, I think that's a big part tying it back, like of when I went to college, what, was so hard for me. I, you know, just, I think that's maybe why you see a lot in college kids going absolutely ape shit is because they're completely removed from their context and thrown into this brand. Like, and it's just, okay, I guess we're partying now. Like, yeah, I don't know what the fuck is going on. I, I, let's drink. You know, it's, it's just like a really crazy, a crazy thing to do to kids actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so let's let's uh, let's jump into psychedelics conversation. I, I know you tweeted about it today. It seems like there's a lot of a lot of interest. So I guess I want to start with, you know, coming from you know we can talk about scientific studies like John Hopkins. I know is a big player in this of like, you know, how psilocybin studies have made people you know have been transformative in their lives. But but from your kind of experience, actually using psychedelics and or your experience in you know observing others you know like what is what what is it about the internal experience of you know these drugs medicines uh you know however you want to frame it what is it about that internal experience like can you take me to through some of the phenomenology of of it like like what is actually happening sure um so before we start I feel like I have to do the, this should not be taken as medical advice. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a counselor, but I'm not your counselor. Um, 
unless I am and you're listening to this and then we can talk about it next week. If you like, we can discuss this interview, but, <laughs> but no, if you're listening, this isn't medical advice at all. Um, and so the, the word that is commonly used for intense experience is ineffable. So it's hard to put words to sometimes. Um, but I think that it varies a lot by dose um, and what substance you're using. Um, and I think what I want to say about it is it's, if you, it's, it's probably unlike, if you haven't done it, it's probably unlike just about any other experience you've had before. Um, in that my view of it, as I think what it does, is it pretty much disables our language function. Um, and if you've ever used it, you have, that's why people describe it as ineffable, I think. And if you've ever used it, you've kind of had that experience of like words just don't do the same thing that they do as you and I are exchanging them right now, where you kind of understand the meanings of them. And um, we exchange these symbols and know how to communicate with each other. We know what they mean. We know what they refer to. Um, and that, and we can make sense verbally of things around us. Um, that ability is frayed to the breaking point um, under the use of heavier uh, doses of psychedelic drugs. And I think personally, that's what I think is, is the most interesting part of it um, is, you know, we lose that verbal capacity or, or mostly lose it. And then I refer to them, the word I like to use or the phrase I like to use is conceptual solvents, because as they break apart that, um, our normal way that we conceptualize the world, because that's verbally is how we, you know, we have this whole learning history from the time we start using words and everything we remember is all constructed through this symbolic network. Well, that goes, when that goes away, we're sort of left without the concepts that we normally view the world through. Right. So um, everything we see and do is filtered through what we expect to a certain degree. And what we expect is constructed by the words that we have been exposed to and the phrases and the, and the way that we understand things. And when that's all gone, you're left with only direct experience, you know, just the direct experience of, um, you know, sitting there and listening to music or seeing something. Um, and that direct experience, I think is, you know, unmediated by our conceptual, our normal concept, conceptual um, sense. Um, I think, there's a lot of power there um, to see the world directly, to see ourselves directly, you know, without being filtered through our ideas of who we are, mm -hmm. of what we're good at, what we're not good at, where we fail, where we're, that's all temporarily taken offline. And we just directly see, you know, just this kind of furry animal, um, just this um, um, organism in this sort of weird world. Um, and um, and that experience, you know, where we can just sort of like see and connect with the world as it is, not how we think it is, see and connect with ourselves as it as we are, not as we think they are, um, is powerfully transformative or can be powerfully transformative. Yeah. Um, can't help it, but throw in the, so Scratchy asked a question about Kind of the, the localism question as uh, with regards to psychedelics. Um, 
you know, so traditionally, I mean, in various cultures, we know that various cultures use psychedelics, um, but, you know, you, local, you know, substances, local plants, uh, mushrooms, various things, and they were incorporated within the ceremonial and religious structure of, of the culture of the society. Um, mm-hmm. My my early exposure to it was in that context. It was it was it was in kind of a ceremonial context. Um, you know, the and so I guess I, I well let me just throw out kind of um, my apprehension. Uh, because I, I have used psychedelics. I'm not a stranger to psychedelics. I haven't used a lot, but I have used some. Um, in that, in a decontextualized, disembedded society, um, where, and in a postmodern society, where kind of traditional notions of ascribing value have already been frayed, right, and, and warped and mixed up. Um, you know, it, I, I guess I'm asking this question because I, I know of somebody who used psychedelics and then ended up doing a very, very bad thing. Basically, he went nuts. Um, his yeah. whole notion of time, his whole notion of good and bad morality got frayed, ended up doing a very bad thing. Um, yeah. And so I'm just wondering, I guess my question is you know, what is the role of set and setting, right? What is the role of context? What is the role or what needs to be the role of, you know, like what, you know, so we're, we're kind of dropping concepts, we're becoming unfiltered, we're seeing things as they are. Um, but, and, and ideally we're trying to do that to kind of get out the, the, the clutter, you know, to, to get out the, um, uh, there's, what, what term am I looking for? Um, the maladaptive kind of ideas of ourselves, clear those out so we can get more, let's just say adaptive or joyful, you know, <laughs> however we want to think about it, uh, context. But, you know, what needs to be there for, for that, you know, ideal process to happen and not for it to go off the rails? Well, that that's a really important question. I think that's um, that's like the question. Um, you know, to put a little historical context to it, you know, like, um, so psychedelics first, um, sort of explore, like, you know, in the West, they've been used, um, they were kind of used throughout the forties and fifties by like the, you know, elite intelligentsia, things, you know, like that, you know, like, um, Aldous Huxley, um, and, um, and they began to be used by, you know, in psychiatry, because if you're interested in the mind, you're probably going to be interested in psychedelics. It's just right. fascinating. Yeah. Um, and um, so it was used in those settings. And then, you know, the kind of uh, Pandora's box was open, cat guy out of the bag, however you want to say it, you know, in the 60s, they just kind of exploded into culture, like exploded. Um, and you know, and there was a lot of fallout from that, good and bad, good and bad. I think there were a lot of good things that happened from that. Um, clearly a lot of bad things um, that happened from that too, just sort of like this, you know, explosion of use and completely decontextualized. You said there weren't containers for it. Nobody, nobody knew anything about this. 
you know, like that book, like I mentioned earlier, Ken, Ken Kesey and, and, and the Merry Pranksters and, and, and the Electric Coolidge Acid Test is a fantastic book to read about. Just the sheer, you know, insanity of that period. Um, it was nuts. And um, to me, it's kind of a wonder that more bad stuff didn't happen, to be honest. To me, that speaks like, yeah. because it was so um, just like... I don't know. Let's see what happens. Let's just like lots of people just do this and just see what happens. And so in a way, I think it's, 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 it's very interesting that more bad stuff didn't happen, but absolutely stuff did and continues to, and, and it shouldn't be um, presented as, and I don't present it as like a perfectly like safe run of the mill thing. Um, it's an interesting um it's very interesting that most psychedelics, um, you know, the big ones, LSD, psilocybin, mescaline are like physically non-toxic, basically non-toxic. You know, you pretty much can't overdose on them. Um, and that if your body can be kept safe, like <laughs> for that period of time, like you're like, you're going to be okay physically. Um, now psychologically and mentally, I don't think you can make the same claim that they're perfectly safe. You cannot make the same claim that they're perfectly safe, but physically they I mean, there's some lingering perceptual issues that, that that can happen. I guess you put that, that sort of blurs the line of like, what's, you know, um, physiological, psychological, whatever. Um, so there are some perceptual issues that can linger um, for sure. Um, but you're not going to overdose. But again, that doesn't imply that the experience is completely safe because it is, can be completely disorienting and that can, it can open up a person to, um, Bad trips, like and when I say bad trips, like that kind of sounds like a cute little phrase, bad trip, but it's, you know, it can be like a completely horrific experience of um, complete um, loss of, you know, experience of lose of loss of everything. You, know, you can experience dying, what it would be like to die. You can experience, um, but, but the thing is when it's a bad trip, you kind of lose that reference point of like, okay, I took a drug and now I'm experienced dying. Like, it's just, you're dying and you're experiencing that or you're experiencing the loss of, like you have these experiences that are deeply painful and you lose track of why you're having them. And there's, you know, one of the things, um, a hallmark of how psychedelics behave is they distort your sense of time. So you feel like you're having these horrible experiences and you're caught in this time loop and they're never, like, it's infinite. So you're basically infinitely caught in a horrible experience is your experience of that. Like this is it. And this is all there is. And this is all there's ever going to be yeah. um, truly bad. Mm. Um, so that, that, you know, that, and that's an obvious risk. Um, you're also very vulnerable, you know, when you're taking psychedelics. So, you know, speaking to set, you know, and setting, I mean, if you're not careful, if you don't know the people you're with, uh, if the people you're with aren't trustworthy, you can be very, very taken advantage of. And there are lots of stories about that. Um, people who are taken advantage of, um, and, and I do, and I think that there are, um, there's also risks of, I don't know how to say it exactly, but I think there's worldview risks too, you know, like it's, if it's something that can change so profoundly the way you see the world, um, like for me that happened, as I mentioned at the beginning, 
uh, in a very positive way. You know, I, 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 I was able to see pretty clearly what was important to me um, and respond to that. And um, it was uh, really good um, for me in my life. But if it's something that can um, change and shift your worldview so much, it, it, there's no guarantee it's going to do that in a direction that's positive. Right. Um, and so I think that's a risk too. So like there's these worldview shaking things that I think is very shaped by the setting in which you use them, both in terms of your own internal setting, the people you're around, what you've been exposed to. Um, you know, that's why everybody wears tie dye, right? It's not because like there's a tie dye part region of your brain. It's because that's what happened in the sixties. And so that became associated with it. So it became associated with this sort of left-wing sort of hippie movement kind of. And so a lot of those things that we associate with psychedelics are artifacts of the basically original cultural context for it. Um, But I don't think that's inherent to the psychedelic at all. I just think that that's associated culturally with psychedelic use. Um, And it could be associated with something else. Let me just take it. This might take us kind of off track, um, but it's, it's kind of a, a question that, that I like to muse over, like, do, do you draw a sharp distinction between phenomenology and metaphysics? What I mean by that is like, you were talking about how, you know, you can go into these heaven realms or you can go into these hell realms. Um, and I've experienced both psychedelics. Um, and you can feel like you're seeing reality for how it really is. And you're, you're, you're waking up and this is actually the real reality, this heaven realm or the, this hell realm is actually real and everything else is a mirage. Um, do you see that, you know, mostly as just a kind of a epiphenomenon of, of the brain and, or, or do you see that we're actually tapping into some deeper fabric of, of reality? Do you have religious views on this? Yes, that's a great question. And, um, I mean, I think the answer is both. There's a lot of epiphenomenon that is just like, you know, like curly cues and, yeah. you know, and yeah, they're clearly just perceptual um, yeah. distortions, not true hallucinations, but just like distortions in your perception. That's so there's, there is that, that, you know, I don't think I don't ascribe any um, deeper meaning to that, but um, you know, as far as my own spiritual beliefs, man, they are, um, you know, a, a person I consider kind of a mentor of mine <laughs> he used to describe himself as spiritually as densely ambiguous, which I relate to very much. Um, I will say that before I ever used psychedelics, I was very much a materialist atheist. You know, I grew up in Southern Illinois and I was like the non-Christian around. Um, and so that hardened me off a little bit as well. Like, you know, kind of made me double down on that aspect of my personality and that aspect of the way I saw the world and was sort of antagonistic and whatnot. Um, and then, you know, after my experiences with psychedelics, I was definitely like, well, I am not an atheist anymore. <laughs> I don't know what the hell I am, but I'm not that. <laughs> because clearly there's way the fuck more here than I had any idea. Um, and since then, I mean, from, I mean, uh, is the elephant in the room. Yeah. That's like putting that together and making sense of that. So, yeah. Um, the fact that we can't really explain consciousness and, you know, sorry to, sorry to get you off track, but I just, no, not at all. I remember the last time I, I, I was on psychedelic um, and this happened a couple of times where you like, look at yourself in the mirror and you, 
you have like, I guess I would call it idealist experience, idealism in kind of the philosophical sense of like, wow, like there's just this kind of like body and I usually just kind of associate it with me. But now that, you know, the sense of self is kind of dissolved, there's just like this consciousness happening. Um, and then there's like this physicality, but like it's all within consciousness, right? Like that, that kind of, that, that, <laughs> that kind of sense. Anyway. Um, uh, Mirror trip. Oh yeah. 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 Any, anyway, go, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Um, sorry. If I, it's, no, sorry. not at all. That's, I feel like I'm cutting you off. I just, you know, <laughs> no, not, I don't, I don't feel that way at all. It's, you know, um, yeah, the, the, the more conversational, the better. Cause I, I can go off on tangents myself. So feel free. Um, but that's, I mean, that's a great, and you know, you see, there are, um, oh, a lot of opinions on that question um and it's you know an interesting thing to me is so you know in the 60s when this happened um there was like a pretty significant pipeline you know like a hippie to buddhist pipeline like this big um you know psychedelic to buddhist pipeline and i think part of that was because so much of the that era was a rejection of um you know, the values of the main, it was a counterculture. So it was a rejection of the, of the cultural values that, that, that brought the kids. Cause it was mostly the young people to that moment. You know, part of that was the, was, was Christianity. Like that was associated with the whole thing. So it was like, well, I'm not going to explore that. And so there was an exploration of, um, you know, Eastern traditions, particular Buddhism, particular Buddhism. And, and there are some wonderful, language there's a lot of wonderful language and practice in buddhism that lends itself well to making sense of psychedelic experience um and um and there's a great book zigzag zen uh by a guy named badner who explores that like among buddhists among buddhist practitioners um and um leaders um about well, is this a valuable way to get on the path? Is this a valuable way to practice? Is this a delusion that should be avoided? Is this, you know, and, and there's not a consensus view. Um, there's a lot of different ideas about it. Right. Um, one of the things I'm really interested in is I think now um, I get the sense that there is sort of like an emerging, what we might call like a right wing counterculture now that didn't exist before. Right, like you alluded to that earlier, you yeah. know, with the you know the tubs of peanut butter and the and the the the, you know, the organic food and the all the crunchiness that my whole life was like that was hippies, mm-hmm. you know, and now it's like oh hey hold on now this is trad this is right wing it's really freaking disorienting to be honest, mm-hmm. um, and but it also seems like there is mixed up in this like new right counterculture stuff there's also psychedelic use. I'm not saying everybody who's trad is like not at all, but it seems like okay, there's 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 a good mix in here, yeah. Um, you know, and and, and Joe Rogan, who is not a trad or a, cons- uh, a conservative in that sense, but is extremely influential, you know, and he's comes a from a not, line operator, right? And he's not a hippie, right? <laughs> um, well, he, he, ideological. He smokes. He smokes joints on set. <laughs> Well, he's interviewing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
which would have definitely made him a hippie 20 years ago. Today, I'm not sure. <laughs> you said ideological pipeline operator. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I just think people go down a lot of rabbit holes or, you know, you talk about like the pipeline from like uh, quirky urban hipster to reactionary tradcath or something. Right. Um, you know, there's just so many pipelines in the world, especially with the Internet. And it just seems like he a lot of people get to where they're going and they start out with Joe Rogan these days. It does seem that way. Right. And, and you know, and of course, he's like the, the DMT guy. Um, or, I mean, in large part, to a lot of people, I think he's like the DMT guy. Um, but exposure, like way more exposure than just like fringe hippiedom, for sure, right? And so what I'm curious about too is, um, because I think a lot of, like I mentioned before, like the, the tie-dye and I think the interest in boot, like a lot of that is because that's what happened then in the late 60s, early 70s, is that was sort of what the, the cult, there was like this rejection of mainstream yeah. culture, and these are the sort of the cultural motifs and things that were picked up on. I'm curious is, you know, as that changes and like what else is going to be brought in or like what, well, what's going to happen if like a lot of, um, you know, a lot of Christians begin using, you know, uh, psychedelics and, and like how might that, you know, inform their practice and how might that also inform the way that psychedelics are viewed? Um because that, that, that's, I mean, I think that there's, like I said before, like, I think there's a lot of really useful language uh, in Buddhism to describe it. Well, there's also a lot of really useful, uh, like, I think there's a lot of congruence and depth, you know, within the Christian tradition as well. And I'm, I'm, I'm very curious how people, because um, I think there will be people, you know, who attempt to like build containers within that, you know, using, a, you, you know, using a, a Christian worldview and build a container. And I think these containers kind of go back to a question you asked a few minutes ago, like what containers are we providing for people? One container is the therapeutic container, right? We're going to do this for mental health, right? You know, there are religious containers. There are no containers. Like you just like use it. Um, but I do think the context, the set and setting, the, the set and setting refers to your mindset, basically what you bring into a trip and also like who you're taking it with and in what environment you're taking it. Like, these are all very important. So what containers are gonna be built and who controls the containers is another really big, big and fascinating question. So that, that relates to a question somebody else had, um, embryosophy, uh, something along the lines of, you know, was it a, is it a good thing that it's slowly, maybe an excerpt maybe not being legalized and medicalized uh, and capitalized um, you know, what are the upsides and downsides of this in terms of containers? Yeah, that's, there's a lot of both. Um, my preference personally is I call it like an all of the above. Um, so I, I, I am a supporter of decrim decriminalization majors first and foremost, um, because I think that I, you know, I value, um, a person's sovereignty over their own mind and their own choices to do with their consciousness what they want um and i don't think putting people and incarcerating i don't think incarcerating people um for drugs is helpful on any level um and so from a justice point of view you know i support decriminalization measures um prohibition doesn't work um repression doesn't work um 
we have lots of evidence that it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't make things better. Um, it's, a, it's just a grave injustice um, that needs to be corrected. So there's that. Um, I support therapeutic use, but the risk there, and it is a risk, is it's a big risk. I, you know, if it were done um, and, you know, and, and it goes through the FDA approval process. And so we have these medicines, right? They are medicines. You go to the doctor, you get prescribed. Well, then it's owned by a medical system. Mm-hmm. And that's bad because that's going to make it cost a shit ton of money mm-hmm. um, and go through this whole credentialism nightmare um, and go through insurance companies. And it's, and then it's going to be done in, in a certain way, in a certain setting with experts that haven't proven themselves to actually be able to help with mental health at all. I say this as a person in the field of mental health, we don't have a great track record and psychiatry and mental health doesn't deserve to be the sole gatekeeper for this at all. I think that we're doing research and I think that it can be helpful. And I, I am very bullish on the therapeutic use of psychedelics. I am, I think it's very, very good. But I also think it's very, very important that exclusive rights to dispensing psychedelics are not given to the medical therapeutic professions generally. They should not have the exclusive ability to use them. They should, like I said, do the research, go through the FDA approval process. I think it's very good. I think it can help a lot of people. But I think that has to be accompanied with decriminalization, um, which allows for um, um, people to be able to just you know, use it as they would. It allows for community use. It allows for um, um, religious use, which I think is pretty interesting. And, and, and actually, this is something that's springing up right now, especially in states that have like really powerful protections, like religious freedom restoration acts, um, states that have pretty potent religious freedom re- restoration acts. You're seeing um, like psychedelically oriented churches come up because, I mean, they're pretty, the language of the law is pretty clear and the sacramental use of these is seems pretty solidly protected. Now, if you add decrim in like a decrim measure into that, it, it, it's, you know, that, that really, um, really paves the way for more ceremonial or religious use, which personally I'm the most bullish on. I think that building containers um, at a community level mm-hmm. um uh, and being able to do it in groups with other people, as I talked at the very beginning, for me personally, you know, I believe a theme of what I believe human beings need is connection, right? And so then we, if we can strip away, like I mentioned before, um, our um, conceptual boxes, and then we can connect with the place and with other people, um, and we can have that experience of deeper connection. Right. Like to me, that's what that's what healing looks like. That's what um, that's a very hopeful idea to me. And then so religious use is actually where I'm most bullish in community use uh, and ceremonial use. Um, like I said, I do think I, I, I'm supportive of the, the, the mental health use. I don't know if I would use it in my practice or not. I'm not sure on that yet. Um, but I'm really interested to see. Um, to see where it goes. And, and I think that if it's an all the above approach where we do decriminalization and we do, um, yeah, I, I support, there's mixed opinions on this too, but I support, you know, sort of direct sale, like you'd be able to get it at some sort of a dispensary. Um, 
because I think that disempowers black markets and, and, and whatnot. You know, if somebody wants to go and they want to go to a concert, which concerts are interesting because concerts are a container that our, that our culture has constructed for psychedelic use. Um, like, I mean, fish shows, dead shows, raves, these things are constructed to contain and to hold and they actually do it remarkably well. It's, it's amazing when you think about it, the number of people who can go and just like trip their absolute balls off with thousands of other people at a show and they go in and they come out and everything's fine. You know, that's, a, that's sort of a remarkable thing and, and have a good time together. Um, it's kind of remarkable, I think. Um, and that's sort of a construction, uh, like a structure that's arisen to hold this use. And I think that that's happened with relatively little um, intention around it. So I think if we can, as a culture, bring a lot of intention to this, because I do, I agree completely. That it's really important that we construct containers with a lot of love and a lot of intention that hold people, um, you know, with safety and with respect so they can have an experience, but they can come out of it, not completely disoriented and not completely lost and, and, and getting the support that they need to sort of like, you know, put things back together. And whether that context is, I hope there are contexts for people, you know, they're Buddhist and they want to go to a Buddhist context because that's their belief. If they want to go into a Christian context because they're Christian, they want that Christianity to be supported in that context. I hope there are different contexts that people can go and do this um, where they can have their, um, because I don't think that what we're talking about here is like a deconstruction of all, you know, somebody's values and a reprogramming, from the bottom up it's helping people just connect with everything that you that experience of conceptual um uh, solvent like i said that when it comes back i mean you come back the next day you remember who you are you remember i mean there are like really bad trips that continue to go on for a while but the vast majority of people i mean you come back you know, it's like, well, how do I integrate what I saw, what I experienced into this? Like, there's this big jarring divide between, well, here's what I thought my life was, but here's what I experienced. How how, how do I reconcile these things? And that reconciliation or integration, I think, is where a lot of really important work happens. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think about a question about how to connect this to kind of the common themes in doom or optimism, uh, you know, around around localism, around ecology, uh, regenerative, um, you know, uh, agriculture. Um, do you see a connection? I, I mean, like you mentioned deeper connections. And so one hope would be that we, you know, uh, have a deeper connection with nature uh, and with other people and people close to us. So community, you know, deeper connection with nature. Is that kind of how you see, um, kind of DO themed conversations and psychedelic themed conversations? These are two pretty different worlds. There's a little bit of overlap. A few people in DO are kind of interested in this stuff. Um, but, uh, they're, they're really different worlds. Is this, is this where you see kind of the overlap happening, happening? I think so. I mean, to me, to me, connection is, 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 is very central to that. And, you know, one thing that in these, in conversations, um, you know, we have within doomer optimism that comes up again and again and again is this theme of abstraction, you know, is this theme of like, like these, like we live in this world of massive abstraction all of the time. Yeah. 
And I think that's part of what this conceptual solvent does. It just sort of like gives you an experience without all that, just like melts that away for a minute so that you can directly connect with, you know, and this is why, you know, in the sixties, a lot of the, you know, like I said, like a lot of the, um, uh, the peripheral stuff with hippiedom, right? I think like, like the, you know, like the tie and the, and, and, and all the stereotypes you have, um, you know, that's just sort of like, I think kind of like randomly what just happened to people selected. Um, but there are a lot of values that came from that, that I think are not psychedelic values exactly, but I think they came from, Hey, if we remove abstraction and we focus on like, I mean, stereotype but like hey what about this universal love thing you know like what about this idea that we're connected with each other you know what about this idea that this planet that we live on is beautiful and we need to take care of it you know like what like like the food that we put in our bodies matters like how it was grown matters how we nourish ourselves matters like a lot of this stuff comes directly from you remove these layers of abstraction and you directly experience what it is to be an organism you know like a like an organism on this earth connecting with other organisms and, and just being, um, you know, I think a lot comes from that. A lot of these values that I think, you know, you saw a lot with the hippies and I think you see in this sort of like counterculture thing that I don't know what to make of exactly yet, you know? Um, but there are this like, Hey, there's deeper things here that aren't, you know, abstractions that aren't um, these things that we've sort of like, made up and created that are but that are genuinely connected to what it means to be a human you know and 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 we can connect to those um i think that's the power of of the site is it removes it's not so much what it plants as what it removes you know it doesn't implant ideas it removes impediments well we um uh, we're gonna have to wrap up pretty soon, but uh, I want to give you a chance to. Well, I, there's a few questions that people asked. If, if any of those questions uh, were interesting to you, and you want to respond to those, um, and or uh, if there's you know anything else that you want to express before we wrap up. Um. Yeah, there were a lot of questions. I guess what I would say um, you know, about that is I, I, I would love to answer a lot of them. Um, so if anybody out there has any other questions, you know, message me. Um, I've been meaning to um, write again a little more. So maybe I could dust off and do like a, um, you know, answer questions and, and spend a little more time writing about it. If people had specific questions that we weren't able to get to, because like I said, I've been kind of looking for opportunities and reasons to spread my thinking out longer than tweet length a little bit more. Um, but I think that, um, yeah, it's not, I guess I would like to say something just about the, you know, the drug thing, you know, people have a lot of preconceptions, a lot of fear and a lot of judgment around drugs and drug use, you know, and I get it, you know, I mean, almost everybody I'm sure knows somebody who's been harmed by it. I mean, the, I don't think very many people know people that haven't been um, anywhere from, I, you know. Drugs or harmed by psychedelics specifically? Drugs, drugs. I don't think everybody knows somebody who's been harmed by, by psychedelics, but I think a lot of people don't really differentiate, like drugs are drugs, you know. Um, and um, 
psychedelics are a specific kind of drug. <laughs> um, and I, and I, I mean, I, I mean, I'll own for sure. I, I think that drugs should be decriminalized generally. I don't think the drug war works and I think it's inhumane. So when I say this, I'm not saying this because like, Oh, psychedelics are okay, but these other drugs are bad and awful. And those people should be punished. I don't like, I'm not going to say that. Um, I think the drug war should be ended because it's inhumane and it doesn't work. Hmm. Um, and I think the drug um, abuse does cause pain. Um, and I think that psychedelic use specifically can be dangerous. It's not like a, uh, you know, take this, it's harmless. You know, you'll, uh, see God, it'll be great. Everything will be wonderful. Um, like it's serious stuff. Um, it's powerful stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think the more like, but I also think you can't, even if we wanted to, mm -hmm. you can't, you can't put the cat back in the bag on this one. Like it's, it's, it's out. It's in our culture. We need to understand it. Um, I think it can be helpful to a lot of people. I think that if we do it um, with a lot of intention, it can be helpful to us as a society, um, as a culture. Um, I, I very much think that it could be. I, I, I'm not saying that I think it will be. I don't know, but it could be. Um, but we need to be careful with them. And we need to take a lot of care with them. And I don't, and I understand um, that people have skepticism and they have fear and they think that it's something that, you know, and if you don't want to use them, don't use them <laughs> by all means. Um, they're not necessary. Um, but for purposes of healing or for growth, um, many people have found them to be, you know, extremely helpful. And I think they offer a lot, um, but I do think we need to individually and collectively take a lot of care with them because they're really potent. They, they, I mean, they're, they're very powerful things. I feel a lot of times like I was very fortunate because I was just like I mentioned at the beginning, like a dumb kid that just happened along these things. I mean, I had no idea, no concept. I mean, I quickly became really fascinated enough. Like I started reading everything I could get my hands on pretty quickly. Like this is, this isn't booze. This isn't pot. This is like, this is, whoa, like I was fascinated. Um, and it was interesting to me that it was just sort of like, we sort of spontaneously generated our own container for it. Um, that became a pretty secure and workable container. Yeah. Um, and it, it did contain and guide us to some interesting and profitable places for sure. And that kind of, that was spontaneous. So that, that influences my thinking a lot too, is like that just, you know, we just gave it space and it just sort of happened. I didn't have intention behind that at all. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Ah, okay. Um, anything else? Um, well, um, I mean, I could probably just keep going. So it's, <laughs> I like to talk about this stuff a lot. Um, as you yeah. can tell, it's, it's, it always has been, you know, I've always, like I said, I've kind of had, you know, when I had my experiences as a young man and they changed my life positively, and yeah. I can't deny that. I never could deny that. And I felt since then, um, integrity bound to be loyal to that experience and be honest with it. And so I've in all settings all the time for 25 years, I talk about psychedelics, even when it was pretty, um, not uh, probably advisable, <laughs> um, but I've just always felt like, hey, 
this happened. This was good. This helped me. And it's bullshit that we're putting people in jail for it. And, uh, you know, it's bullshit that we're not trying to understand this better. Um, because this is my experience and I'm, I have to own it. Right. Right. I want to, I, I want to uh, throw in um, kind of um, an experience I've had that I think it would be also something that if they were interested in this stuff that I would recommend is to pair it with some kind of practice, you know, so I'm, I'm definitely mm-hmm. of the mind that um, it, it probably should be in some kind of spiritual religious container. Um, Mm -hmm. And that can be pretty informal. It can be a group of friends who set some clear intentions and things of that nature. Um, You know, I found that uh, I had, you know, so I I got really interested in consciousness and I got really interested in meditation. I was doing a lot of meditation for a while Um, and I had already taken psychedelics. And then I had one experience where um, I had taken uh, something and um, I just got, well, one, in some ways I felt like I was better able to handle it in the sense of, you know, sometimes prior I had, I had gone down these rabbit holes of paranoia, like this kind of radical existential paranoia. Um, uh, and, and I had felt that my kind of meditation training uh, allowed me to kind of stabilize myself to some degree, um, not always successfully, but to some degree to, to basically have the best experience with it that, that I could. Like it, it kind of gave me a ground that um, even though I was having these phenomenal experiences, extraordinary experiences, uh, it wasn't so disconnected with a trajectory that I was already on that it, it, it would become, that, that it became scary or frightening all of a sudden because it was just so, and so, I guess, you know, I guess that's all to say that, you know, I, I think that having some kind of spiritual or religious practice is generally a good thing. I, I actually recommend it for people. You know, for me, it is meditation but, and prayer. You know, I, I, I do both. Um, and that's really, you know, this, this conversation comes up a lot. You talked about like psychedelics in the Buddhist community, you know, and the conversation a lot there is, you know, Psychedelics is, you know, you get up to the top of the mountain right away, but you don't stay there, right? And so, but it, it can help guide your direction, right? And so really you wanna be, you know, continually growing, you know, having these insights, insightful experiences uh, and psychedelics being kind of, you know, a helpful guide occasionally. Um, but, you know, that's that's a, you know, contrasts with just taking psychedelics or, or, you know, just doing something else. And so I guess that's, that's my own point of view on mm-hmm. that is, is, is that uh, as much as possible, you know, pair it with, you know, a, a dedicated practice of some kind. Um, and, and, you know, for me, ideally, you're already in that dedicated practice before you even get started. Although sometimes taking psychedelics will get you on that practice as well. And so, and uh, doesn't always need to work out that way. Anyway, that, that's, that's my two cents. Uh, I don't know if you yeah on that. Yeah, that's, you know, like it, it, it's a pipeline for sure in both directions, but I think that that's, you know, like, it is that reconciliation between like the mountaintop mm-hmm. and like where you are before 
you ever took it and like, Oh, these are far apart. And I think that's the, and people often say, which I really object to the notion that it's like, well, it's a shortcut. Well, I mean, kind of, but not really because you don't get there. You just see it, <laughs> you know, yeah. like the work you still, the work is still in this reconciliation, you know, like between like, yeah, yeah, it, yes, exactly. It's, it's, okay, you've had a glimpse. It can really orient you towards, you know, um, really recapturing and reconnecting with what you value, with what you love, with what you care about. Um, But that doesn't solve anything. It just gives you a compass bearing. And right, like you've got to walk it, like you've got to do that still. Um, It can help you see where your path lies, but it doesn't, you still have to, you still have to travel it. So I, I don't view it as a shortcut at all. Um, if, if it's done properly, because I think, and this is where I think it can't, you know, there's a million, there are, there, I mean, there are perils, right? Like there's, there's, there's tremendous perils. Like, and, and people, you know, talked about this in the thread. And I think people see this a lot. It's like that, um, you know, that, that, that you take it and then you think you understand something right? And you, you maybe take it a few times, you really think you've got it, or you're enlightened or whatever. Yeah. Um, and and you're not. <laughs> and I think that's part of what that container has to really be there to provide is like, well, you saw some really important things. Mm-hmm. Let's let you but you're also here right now. Right. And nothing's really different than was before. You're, you're, you still you're, have to live your life in this way. Programming hasn't hasn't, you know, embodied programming, mental patterns hasn't necessarily caught up with that one peak experience. Not at all, you know, not at all. And I think yeah, that aligning those. Similar, this is a similar thing with, you know, people who do like intensive meditation retreats, right? For like mm-hmm. 10 days or 30, you know, it's, it's kind of a similar thing. It's like, yeah, a lot, you know, sitting quietly for 10 days straight with little sleep is going to break some things down and you're going to have some experiences. Um, but, you know, integrating that into your everyday life it, 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 it almost calls you to some kind of path of commitment to commit to something, right? Um, uh, commit to yes. it. And, you know, I, I don't want to get too lean on the religious. I, I think religious setting is, you know, our ancestry, right? That was, I think, most mostly the original context was, was in a religious setting. But, you know, it might be redevoting yourself to your family or to your community or, or whatever. And um, that's fine, too. Um, or a piece of land right like there was a reason that the hippies were like back to the land right um right yeah i mean i think that's a pretty direct reason for that yeah 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 interesting well uh nate this was fun um very very fun um cool man um any last any last words um well just um we didn't get and I didn't really intend to. So there are a lot of people asking about it and I really didn't intend to get too into the like how to mm-hmm. um, stuff because that might be a good thing to follow up with you on in a DM maybe. Sure. And there's a lot out there and I'm not, like I said, it's not medical advice. And I'm not advising anybody to do this. I want people to understand, you know, and I want people to learn more. Yeah. Um, and if you feel moved that you want to try it, like, okay, like, continue to learn more um consider this like a like a a curiosity on ramp if you're if, if it grabs you that way um but the, like by by no means is this you know like 
a how-to session for like how you should go about doing it. Um, I think there is, you know, a lot of intention and care to be put into it. Um, you know, if you want more information, there's a lot of places to find it. Um, again, my podcast, Altered States of Context, I do with my podcast partner, Dr. Brian Pilecki, and we explore a lot more um, medically um, and, and, you know, and from a psychotherapeutic point of view, its use. And there's, you know, um, a lot that you can look and find which episode is interesting to you. I kind of try to keep it, I try to not use too much clinical language to make it accessible to the layperson. Um, so that, that's, that's a resource if anybody wants to use it. And, um, and also I'm on Twitter too much. And so feel free to hit me up. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that nickname was actually, um, the, the handle was born from this period of my life. I described when I was kind of out of control, I went on a tear in the fraternity house I lived in. Like I had such a fucking stereotype, but like, and the next day the janitor came through there and he was like, man, it looks like a tornado came through here. <laughs> and so then people started calling me tornado Nate. That was, that was my nickname. And then I had been sober for years cause I didn't drink for about 15 years. Um, and then when I made my Twitter handle, I was just at a point in my life where I'm like, you know what? I don't want the pathology of that energy, but there's something about that energy that's pretty like me. Yeah. And so like, I want to own that part without the, you know, drunken destruction. Yeah, no, it it makes a lot of sense to me. I think anyone who's familiar with your Twitter uh, personality, like Tornado Nate, yeah, yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it, it felt right, it felt right. (laughs) Yeah, cool, man, Uh, this is great. Um, uh, I'll see you, Uh, I'll see you later. I'll talk to you later. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Mm